Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today I get the opportunity to take a deep dive into contemplative spirituality with Keith Christich. I've known Keith from the contemplative space for the last couple of years, but this was the first time I had the opportunity to sit down and speak with him. He's the founder of an online contemplative community called Closer Than Breath. Keith has been a long-term practitioner of Centering Prayer. He began around the age of 20, and he continues to this day. He's also well-versed in the Enneagram and other contemplative practices. You're going to find the way he communicates contemplative spirituality to be fresh, to be inviting, and to be really helpful. Before we jump into the conversation, let me let you know about an exciting opportunity that Keith is offering uh, in, in through an annual Centering Prayer Summit. It's all done virtually, and you can either attend live and watch the event January 21 and 22, 2023. And even if you can't attend all of the sessions or none of them, you can sign up and get access to all the videos. I attended in 2022 and it was a fantastic event. I plan on being there again for the 2023 event. Keith's able to pull together leading voices in the Centering Prayer Movement. Persons like this year, Cynthia Bourgeau, Father Carl Errico, as an Enneagram expert, uh, Mary Dwyer will be speaking. These are persons that actually met Thomas Keating in the past. So it'll be a time of learning about ways to deepen your contemplative practices. But also one of the things I love about the Centering Prayer Summit is there's actually contemplative breaks. At least, um, And you'll have the opportunity to literally do Centering Prayer with maybe as many as 500 people at the same time who will gather for this event. If you're listening in December... 2022, there's early bird discounts up until December 31st. Um, check out the show notes for a link and a little bit more of a description of the event, but I would encourage you to consider attending. If you would like to connect with me a little deeper, you can check out my website, www.brianrussellphd.com, and you can sign up for my information about Centering Prayer at centeringprayerbook.com. Let's listen in to my conversation with Keith. Thank you for listening. Hey, Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being my guest today. Hey, thank you, Brian. Glad to be with you. Yeah. Can you introduce yourself a little bit to uh, the listeners, uh, particularly curious about some key moments in your sort of spiritual autobiography that got you into contemplative spirituality and now has you uh, leading a ministry closer than breath to help other people go deeper in their relationship with God? Yeah, sure. Well, the, the kind of quick stuff is I'm a Buffalonian, New York, where we just had a major snowstorm <laughs> and survived well. But um, yeah, I, I grew up in the church, very evangelical and went to an evangelical uh, college where I met my dear wife that I've been married to for the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, I grew up in a very healthy relationship with God. I think religion, a lot of people have a hard relationship with the evangelical church. I do it in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it gave a really solid foundation. Like God was a being that loved me. Like it was that simple. And that created like a really strong um I think a strong sense of self that the, the self was loved by the divine source, but it was always God outside of myself. You know, the image we get of Jesus, 
sitting at the right hand of God, who's sitting on a throne somewhere in the heavens, um, it becomes like very physical. And I don't think God is quite that physical anymore. And so I like to say God is not a guy in the sky, but that's the God I grew up with. And that guy in the sky loved me, which was mm -hmm. healthy in many ways. But when I went to, uh, when, while I was in college, I sort of fell into meditation by accident. I was, so, I would listen to music in sort of my quiet time, sort of prayerful um, worship music in a sense. And once that music would come to a close and the silence was there, I would just sink into the silence. And I didn't have any words for that at the time, um, but I thought this is, I think I'm meditating. And at the time as an evangelical meditation equaled Buddhism. So yeah. I went to the college library, got out some books on Buddhism, which was super helpful because well, Buddhists are really good at meditation, um, but very good friends invited me to a retreat center, Franciscan retreat center, um, where they were talking about contemplation, talking about union with God, mystical union with God. And one of the, the fathers there, Father Bob, he was uh, taught centering prayer actually at the university. He was a, a professor, uh, a brother, a Franciscan brother, and was teaching courses on contemplative prayer and centering prayer. So it was really at this, this retreat center that I was introduced to centering prayer um, and contemplation. And rather than thinking about it purely as a, a meditation practice, I think that's those early days of silence where that sort of pole of silence was the mystical understanding of relationship with God. And it was that sense that God isn't so much out there, but God is actually right here. And that sort of journey just sort of keeps going deeper and deeper within me. So um, that's the quick version. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really good. And, you know, and I love, I mean, your, your main website, Closer Than Breath. Um, I mean, talk a little bit about how you came to that name, I guess, in the sense you answered it. But could you just say a little bit more about why you were drawn to that phrase, Closer Than Breath? Yeah, sure. You know, I borrowed that phrase, Closer Than Breath, from uh, Thomas Keating. So Father mm -hmm. Thomas Keating, who I'm I know you've read, so he was sort of the godfather of the Centering Prayer Movement with Basil Pennington and, and William Menninger. And so, you know, his book, Open Mind, Open Heart, it happens to be here on my uh, <laughs> on my desk. Um, his book, Open Mind, Open Heart, is sort of the, you know, the Bible of Centering Prayer, if you will, from my perspective. And in it, he says, God is closer than the air we breathe. And so as I was sort of founding this sort of organization early in the pandemic. I didn't know what to call it, but that word closer than breath seemed to capture the the essence of the community I wanted to create, a community that knows that God is closer than the air that we breathe, already alive within us. Nothing we have to do to create God. There's nothing we can say to bring God's presence here. It's already here. So how do we wake up to that reality? So. I love that. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that you're just a young, young man, at least compared to me, you're 20 years younger than <laughs> I am. And, and you said just before we got on, you've been uh, practicing since like you said, 2010. So you were roughly like 20 years old. Um, what's your sense? I mean, like my sense, and maybe I have a bias because I'm interested in centering prayers too. It, it seems like more people are interested in contemplative practices and maybe there's a little rebirth. I mean, I know this has always been big in certain Episcopal uh, circles, Quakers, and then of course, Roman Catholicism. But do you actually sense there's a renewed interest? And if there is, what do you think it is about, like, say, when we're recording this in 2022, but roughly this era that we find ourselves in that perhaps people seem to be a little more interested or open uh, to contemplative practices? 
Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of different dimensions, different angles we could hit that from because there's the we could talk about from within the church, from within sort of secular society, from like institutions and colleges encouraging mindfulness and meditation. Um, but I do think I think there's an awakening. I think there's like a real depth of hunger for contemplative practice and contemplative awareness. And I think that is happening both for like folks inside of the church, I think young people in particular, and I think it's happening at, in society at large. And I think the great work that's being done with mindfulness is like that's being able to be studied scientifically and to be like prove the metrics that say this is actually healthy for your psychology, for your psyche. And I think the beauty of contemplative prayer is it brings in a, a more spiritual component rather than it just being psychological. There's the spiritual and the religious and the divine element. And so um, I think people are hungry for it. I think the mindfulness movement is really helpful. And even like yoga is sort of like laying the sort of like health and wellness and self-care. But I think what contemplative spirituality, more spiritual orientation sort of get at that, that sort of soulful level, that sort of the mindfulness um, sort of overlooks in some ways. Um, so I think there's a hunger there. I think it's just giving people the resources. Like I grew up in the church, didn't have a clue about contemplative prayer, never heard the word, never, I thought mystical union with God. Well, those are bad words. Like I'm not one with God. I'm separate from God. God's up there. How could I be God be right here? That's like a heresy. And so, um, I think we don't even realize most Christians don't realize the great tradition and the resources that, that they have available to them. So. Yeah, say just a little bit more about that. I mean, you mentioned that you grew up in evangelical church. Uh, I mean, I, I'm in the Methodist side of things, but I was essentially in an evangelical Methodist uh, side of, of, of things. And I had no clue about any of this stuff either up until my my 40s, literally. Um, what do you say to to folks that maybe that are honestly interested but skeptical about even some of the words that you say since you actually understand what it would be like to be from a more conservative background how do you help people that are like wow i'm interested in this but wow mystical union all those kind of words just mm -hmm. kind of scares them They're like oh isn't that like you said i think i don't know if we we're recording or not but isn't that buddhism or mm -hmm. maybe this is new age stuff like how do you how do you help people to feel more comfortable to open themselves up to possibilities or even folks that say oh that's mindfulness that's the secular thing so how can that help me in my mm -hmm. christian life what how do you how do you sort of help people along? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is is taste and see. Like, I think experience is the best knowledge. Like, we can study a book about it, we can read a we can read a book, we can listen to a podcast, we can watch this video. But until we sit down and do the thing, you know, you don't know what an apple is until you like eat the apple. You know, you can describe the apple, you can tell someone what color it is, but you can't really know it from the inside until you take the bite of the apple. And so. I think that's a lot how it goes with contemplative practice. It's a practice, it's embodied, it's embodied mind, heart, and soul and, and physical, you know? And so, I mean, we gotta do the thing. Practice is the best teacher is sort of the refrain that I like to teach people all the time. Practice is the best teacher, but it does take some courage if people are in sort of a mindset where like these are, you know, dangerous territory. I do get that because that's sort of the, the mindset that I grew up in, but I mean, there's a huge resource. I mean, the amount of books on the shelf, um, on everybody's shelves that is engaged with this is the Catholic Church has an enormous amount of wisdom. And I think most Protestants grow up in some worldview that like God really perfected the church with Martin Luther or something. Um, and they sort of erase the first 1500 years, but the first 1500 years of the church is filled with monks and nuns 
running away from society and going into the hills and into the mountains and into the monasteries to pray, to meditate, to contemplate. And we have their books, we have their writings, we have systems that they've taught us of how to engage in God. And so just a matter of opening our minds. I mean, Thomas Keating's book, Open Mind, Open Heart, have an open mind, read somebody outside your own tradition and find out that that was closer to the roots of the early church than perhaps what we have today. So. Yeah, good word. And just share a little bit. I mean, I'm going to ask you at the end, like some of your, like two or three of your favorite books, but when you think about mentors, and I know you've had the privilege to actually speak with a lot of the great uh, teachers that are even, that are still alive today. And then you just mentioned all these resources that go deep into the Catholic and even the Eastern Orthodox tradition. So like, who would you say, who are some of your mentors in contemplative spirituality that have really helped to shape you both either living or, you know, mm -hmm. long deceased that we only know through their writings? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll share three. I mean, the first would be Thomas Keating, just because I've already mentioned him with Open Mind, Open Heart. And then the second who's living now, Episcopal priest, uh, Cynthia Bergeau, and I know you're familiar with her work. She's written well over a dozen books and two of them on Centering Prayer. And her book, Centering Prayer and Inner Awakening, is like a f another foundation text, as far as I'm concerned, for Centering Prayer. And so that book really highlights the true and the false self journey, looks at the psychological dimensions of centering prayer as well as the spiritual dimensions. So Cynthia's work, I'm a huge fan of that. And her book is her, her book Centering Prayer and Inner Awakening is key. Um, but a third one is a very, very, very favorite Anthony DeMello. Are you familiar familiar? Yes, with I have. I've read um yeah, I'm trying to think. I've read a couple of his books, but yeah, yeah. What's Wonderful. like what's yeah, which book do you uh, recommend from his? His his book Awareness. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's what I couldn't remember what it was excellent. called. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good one. And what's yeah. so unique, he was a he was a Jesuit priest. He I think he died in the eighties, but a Jesuit priest, he's Indian, he's from India. Um and so he's a Jesuit priest in India writing to the Western world. And so he has this perfect blend of like Christian Jew, Jew, uh, Jesuit mind. Then he has this very Eastern consciousness. And then he's also a psychotherapist and a spiritual director and a spiritual retreat leader. So he's integrating Eastern thought with Western thought. He's integrating his psychological awareness with his spiritual awareness and learnings. And so he's just sort of this brilliant mind and his book awareness is just will turn your mind upside down. You might, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says in the book, but he certainly forces you. He puts a mirror in front of your face and he says, do you really believe this is true about how you view reality? And it's like, well, it, it, it'll, it'll twist the mind. It's mind bending in many ways. So. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, it's a good word. I think I actually, I think I just read that it's either this, this year, or maybe late 2021, but that is a, that is a really powerful book. And, uh, and it seems to be coming back to life now. Cause I have heard, uh, even like Tim Ferriss on his podcast and okay. which is that one of those massive podcasts. I've heard him talk about it too. So that's, oh, that's wild. A, a, yeah. Really, a really powerful book. And it is interesting, right? Cause it's like, it's like you're, you're at a retreat with him and he's just giving these little yeah. talks. Yep. Little yeah. talks, very personal. And he's hilarious. I mean, that's the other thing we need to bring yeah. up when we talk about Timelo. I mean, he tells stories and he's all about laughter. And it's like, sometimes we get in these contemplative circles and it's like, pray and meditate. And it's like very serious. Um, but it's like, no, throw that away. Life is about joy. God is laughing. You know, God is a jolly God. And so our practice points to jolliness. And so I think he sort of embodies that in such a great way. Yeah, and I know you're also interested in Enneagram and uh, I don't know other contemplative practices, but could you talk a little bit about um, 
uh, how all those different things kind of relate together, at least the way you see them as being maybe helpful spiritual exercises that allow us to, to grow deeper in God just beyond simply sitting in contemplation? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I've worked with the Enneagram a lot over the last eight years or so and, and got certified as a teacher about five years ago. And it's an, a tremendous tool. I mean, what I think it offers us is both, again, an integration of the psychological path and the spiritual path. And the Enneagram, if, if your listeners aren't familiar, it's a personality typing system. Um, well, it's most commonly known as a personality typing system. And it's a circle and there's nine points on the circle and we sort of, and then there's like a star that sort of weaves in and out of it and sort of shows how our personality or our psyche or our ego sort of travels into different, um, into different uh, highs and lows and different stress points and health. And what the Enneagram really points out is like, we do have an ego, we do have a personality and it teaches you to like bear witness to your own sort of conditioning, your own psychological conditioning. And what contemplation does or centering prayer or meditation in general is you're always taking a step back from your own psyche rather than engaging your thoughts, feeling your feelings, like going on the thought train like we do in ordinary consciousness. Meditation is about taking a step back and so we can witness our programming. And so what the Enneagram tells us is, well, this is your programming. It sort of shows you this is when you're alive inside of your ego, this is what how you act, this is how you think, this is how you feel. And it's amazing how accurate it is. And then centering prayer is a way of stepping out of that. Um, Thomas Keating talks about centering contemplation is taking a vacation from yourself. And so centering prayer, contemplation is a way of stepping outside of even our, our personality psychology. And the Enneagram is giving us the tools to work with in like everyday ordinary life. So. Yeah, I love that. And what's your, what's your take on, um, the relationship between, um, you know, you just talked about kind of the inner outer world a little bit, but what's your sense of contemplation and actually the physical body in terms of, um, you know, because sometimes at centering prayer, you're, you're just surrendering pieces. But I mean, like when you talk about like a welcoming prayer, I've heard like Mary Dwyer introduced that to me with the, at the summit that you put on last year and actually paying attention to your body. So what's your sense that, um, I mean, how do you understand the physical body with all the contemplative practices? Have you thought much about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's probably for me probably the more the most difficult part to in, integrate. I mean, I think yeah, uh, and that's why I'm asking too. I, that's yeah. what I struggle with too. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the the heart of centering prayer is is putting the mind in the heart. And so oftentimes we live from the neck up, right? We think and we feel, we even feel often in our head. Um, you know, we, we feel and then we react to the feeling. And so we're living from the neck up. And so contemplation is about descending the mind into the heart and going to that deeper place of consciousness within us, that heart-centered space and living from that true self rather than from the mental egoic self. And so there's like really good dynamism there, right? Between the mind in the heart. But then the difficult part is like when we open our eyes. So, okay, we sit down for 20 minutes, we close our eyes, we try to get out of the head, we move into our spiritual heart or our soul. And then what happens? Well, the bells go off and we have to get off of the prayer cushion, off of the meditation seat and go walk into the world. And I think that's where, you know, we embody our contemplation. We have uh, St. Teresa of Avila talks about um, God being presence God being present in the pots of pan, the pots and pans, as does Brother Lawrence talking about, you know, everyday activity is like another image of God's presence. 
And so how do we integrate our contemplative awareness that we reach during the silence, during the, well, that's easy, that's the easy part. Like there's not a lot of drama going on, but when we're out in the world, um, that, that's, that is the more difficult part, but I think it's about stabilizing ourselves in the practice long enough every day so that we can carry it into the day. Um, one great, I gotta say this, one great quote I just heard from Contemplative Outreach the other day about centering prayer. Um, they said, practice once a day for maintenance, practice twice a day for transformation. It's good. So, you know, on the days when it's just once a day, it's like, okay, I'm like maintaining my practice, which is really good. But the, Thomas's key teaching, and this is universal among meditation teachers, no matter what religious tradition is practiced twice a day. And it's because we're getting stable. That's where the transformation happens. We're really getting stable in that consciousness so that we can live from it in every day. So I think it's a matter of practice. Um, and, and integration, so. Yeah, and uh, when you talk about practice, even time, I know traditionally it's, you know, 20 minutes is often used. Um, what's your uh, what's your advice for people that say they want to do it less? And then I don't know if you have any thoughts on, you know, sometimes folks will say 45 minutes for a really long sit. Uh, what's your, mm -hmm. what, 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 what kind of, how do, how do you teach about varying the amount of time you spend in an individual session of centering prayer? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, my feedback is constantly changing on that because I don't think there's any right way. I mean, if it is truly difficult for someone to sit for 20 minutes, I understand that. And it sucks. I mean, that's one of the things yeah. I like to say is meditation sucks. Like, it's not <laughs> fun. We have some ideas that God wants us to feel good or meditations about making us feel good. Quite opposite in many ways. Meditation will often reveal to you secrets about yourself hidden in your unconscious that you don't want to address. Yes. And so it's not about feeling good. And that's part of the divine therapy model of centering prayer. But but to answer your question, I, you know, starting with five minutes and going up incrementally, I wouldn't suggest people go up by the minute. Some people I know have done that. It's like, well, I'm doing six minutes now and seven minutes next week. And to me, that feels like too much of like a you're being too giving too much into your ego that's resisting the practice just go five minutes then go to the 10 minutes push yourself go to the 15 minutes go to 20 minutes um and the reality is we're all bad at meditation we're all bad at contemplative prayer that's why we practice it so that we're slowly getting better by surrendering to the grace creating more space for god to show up so we're all bad at it it all is terrible for me i've been doing i've been doing it for over 12 years um, it's not easy for me. It's just I'm a little bit I can sink into it on a good day because I'm familiar with that territory, but it doesn't make it easy or necessarily blissful. Um, so, <laughs> amen. Well, yeah, that was good. Uh, what are some things that you said you've been doing it for 12 years? What do you what do you wish you knew 12 years ago that perhaps you've learned that might have made your entry a little easier? Like, yes, yeah, so like, what would you, what do you wish you would have known when you started that you know now? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think knowing that sometimes it's better at the beginning of the journey than it is at the end of the journey, or not at the end of the journey, but later in, um, it can be hard to get off practice off the ground for the first couple of weeks as you're like building the habit and you're like testing it out and you're like is this really working for me or is it not and eventually you get in that routine you're like this actually does feel good so even mm -hmm. though i just said like often it doesn't at the beginning once you're in the routine it can be like this feels good like i'm getting a break from my children i'm getting i've never not thought before for more than two seconds um, there's actually space 
appearing within my consciousness in between the thoughts and between the feelings. And so it feels good. But what I wish I knew is, you know, that doesn't last forever. And that divine sort of, you know, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, she called them the chocolate drops of the Christian life, these sort of spiritual consolations that God sort of gives us a chocolate drop in our practice as a way of like beckoning us towards him. And so we get these sweet tastes at the beginning. And then oftentimes those sweet tastes dissolve, or maybe we get used to them. Maybe we get complacent and we sort of are so familiar with the silence that it no longer feels peaceful and it used to. And so, yeah, I think part of it is just realizing that the, the journey changes. I think I'm thinking of the dark night of the soul, you know, in the sense that God totally withdraws God's presence as a way of, again, are we going to keep going or are we just here to feel good? Are we here for a spiritual chocolate? Are we here for a spiritual high? Or are we here to like pursue the divine at all costs, including seeking God's nothingness? Wow. And so that, that, it doesn't feel good when the chocolates disappear. And so recognizing those, those moments are probably more common than the good stuff. Um, that, that'd be nice to know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Um, to the opposite, like what do you have any growing edges right now? As since you've been doing it for 12 years, where would you say the growing edges of your own practice are? Well, uh, there's a couple dimensions to that. I mean, um, I mean, the first part is I'm a new father. I've got a beautiful, uh, almost nine month old baby boy. Yeah, congratulations. That's um, so yeah, fun. thank you, Brian. He's he's the best. Um, and so that that's a huge learning curve. Initially, you know, I used to practice in the morning. No more mornings. <laughs> no more silent, quiet times in the morning. So how to how to find that later in the day? And so I think some of the the basics are, you know, and this is good for beginners as well as as people that are in busy life, but like taking time in the car. Like if you drive to work alone, like before you turn off the key, when you pull into the driveway, just take a couple minutes. I, I can mm -hmm. do that. I can take just a couple minutes and there's a break. There's a contemplative pause and I can scroll on my phone if I want, or I can just sit and be and be present to God. So learning those places. Another little one has been connecting, and this is great for beginners as well, is connecting a habit to a pre-existing habit. So in the evening, I brush my teeth every night. And so how do I connect that habit of from moving from brushing my teeth to sitting for a few minutes mm -hmm. and making a priority and connecting those two habits? Because I know I'm going to brush my teeth. And if I know my next move is just to sit down for a few minutes, then then that gives another opportunity. And so, you know, that's a growth edge. And I, I think beyond that is like the practice itself is sort of always being willing to surrender the, the sacred word. So if your listeners are centering prayer practitioners, they're not meant to hold on to the sacred word. It's not meant to be a mantra. It's just meant to be there as sort of a lifesaver to hold on to the edge of the pool when we start to drown in our own thoughts. And then we let go of the edge of the pool. And then we go back to the sacred word and hold on to the edge. And so how to just let go and sort of just surrender more deeply into the ocean of God, into the water of God without needing to sort of constantly go back to that that sacred word because it's there as a resource, but it's not there to be held on to. Yeah, can let me just push you a little bit more there because I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, I read the uh, hasn't I just last summer read uh, Laird's um, book Into the Silent Land, and he, oh, and he yeah. actually talks uh, uses some of that exact same language. And you know, the, the the 
um, you know, my temptation is always like, well, I, I just want to get good at this because I'm a three in the Enneagram. So I have to okay. like uh, figure all <laughs> these things out here. And, but, you know, like when you say that, when you say surrender, let go of the pool, um, and this is where I think a lot of people get confused. It's like, okay, I'm not mindless because my thought stream is still there. So when you say, let go of the sacred word, what's, if you could describe the experience, and I know you're not really supposed to, but if did you have a sense of like, um, how would a person know that they had let go of the sacred word and aren't simply floating lost in their thought stream again? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I can use, I'll, I'll use the word, the language from Thomas Keating to, to describe in contemplation as interior silence. And so centering prayer is a practice designed to facilitate our movement into contemplation. So from centering prayer into contemplative prayer. And so he defines contemplation as interior silence. And he says that in two different ways. And so the first way, and this uh, is probably the best way, even though it'll sound like the other way will be the better way. Um, but when the mind is actively thinking, he talks about sinking into the ocean sinking down into the water and the boats of mind are still going by, but you just don't care. That's contemplation. So the thoughts are still going, but you're conscious of a deeper, you're seated in your deeper self. You're, see, you're conscious of a deeper awareness of that divine presence. And so the thoughts are continuing to go, but there's a major difference between thoughts and thinking. Thinking is the activity of engaging thoughts, right? So thoughts come and go, but our job in Centering Prayers did not engage the thinking process. So we can let the thoughts go and without engaging them and just sort of rest in that deeper part. And that's that's interior silence. And then the deeper interior silence that we all kind of crave is when there's no thoughts. Is <laughs> the boats stop floating by overhead and we're just there in, in sort of the depths of contemplation. That's sort of the spiritual uh, juice we're looking for. Um, Cynthia Bourgeau would, would call this, like in this too, objectless awareness. So ordinarily, in our ordinary consciousness, we have all sorts of objects of awareness. We have before me is the light, the mug, the, the microphone, the screen, your face. Like we have endless objects inside of our awareness. When we close our eyes, we have new objects of awareness. We have images come to mind. We have thoughts that come. We have memories. We have feelings. Those are all objects of awareness. And so when we move into contemplation, we move into a place of objectless awareness, the nothingness. And so in some ways you described it as not mind, not mindless. In some ways I want to say it is mindless because we're out of the mind into the heart. There's no longer objects to steal our attention to. So there's sort of, it's mindless in the sense that not that we're just dulled out and like blissed out, but that there's no object, there's no mind conscious of another object. Um, so I hope that helps. <laughs> no, it, it does help. I just love to hear people kind of describe some of these interior states. So, so yeah, so thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And also grateful that you mentioned um, how being a parent changes. I, that's a question I get a lot when I talk to younger folks. It's like, mm -hmm. how am I supposed to do this? I got kids that wake me up and you kind of address yeah. that. Is there any other tips you'd give to young parents with the, you know, they're in that season and heck, if you have multiple kids, you can be in a season with kids right. needing you for well, who mm -hmm. knows? I mean, 10 years sometimes. Right. So like what 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 did what maybe what are you learning? What's advice beyond, you know, what you kind of just said, find the spots. Maybe that is the advice. But any yeah. other reflections on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's it's finding the the habits that already exist in your life, whether that's brushing your teeth, um, 
going to the bathroom. That's something we often do alone, taking yeah, another good. couple of minutes in there. <laughs> um, but, you know, everybody has daily habits and they're going to look different for different people. And our habits get disrupted when we have kids. Um, and so we have to adjust. And so, yeah, just finding what those are inside of our lives and giving ourselves permission to just do the five minutes sit because, you know, we're taught to do 20 minutes a, a day or two times of 20 minutes a day. And that's just not always possible for everybody. So to practice, to recognize that five minutes is better than none, that 10 minutes is better than five minutes, um, but it's certainly better than none. And so we're going to do 10 minutes here and there when we can. And, and it's just a matter of taking it seriously enough to do it, because I think we all have 10 minutes in our day if we can find it. Um, but we do have to find it. We have to commit to it. Um, so. Yeah, and talk a little bit now, and I'm gonna we'll we'll start wrapping things up here after this this question. But talk a little bit about your own sense of calling, and uh, um, we'll come back to just nuts and bolts contact stuff at the very end. But talk about your ministry closer to breath. I mean, do you consider that a ministry? Like, how would you describe the work that you do in this community that you're building around um, contemplative practices? Yeah, thanks. I guess. Um... You know, I think that's an unfolding, I just have an unfolding answer. I think that's probably true for all of us. It's not so Good. black and white, but you know, our Close to and Breath community has really turned out to be a family and it was founded by accident. I mean, I was at home working uh, during the beginning of the pandemic and I started to put out free meditation courses on Instagram and then free contemplative prayer and centering prayer courses. And, um, people kept coming. Everybody was at home. Everybody was trying to figure out how to be alone, how to deal with themselves. Um, everybody had a little bit extra time. <laughs> and so, you know, that sort of, uh, that sort of evolved on its own. And I think just in the, in a sort of divine flow, and now it's this full blood, you know, organ organism and organization in a way. And so, you know, I, I just feel called to sort of facilitate contemplative gatherings. I do both teaching myself and also bring in teachers like yourself. And so we have weekly centering prayer groups. There's five centering prayer groups throughout the week. We have a monthly contemplation day where I invite various contemplative teachers to offer, you know, just 90 minute teaching and practice sessions, which is about building the community, learning from contemplative teachers and then doing the practice. And so all of that was sort of founded under Closer Than Breath as an accident. It wasn't my intention to go out and, and start this, but it's been a joy to, to see it unfold. Um, and as I explore my own calling, I, I get the sense that I, I'm trying to help people reimagine God and see God everywhere. Because I think that's the place that I'm at with my contemplative practice. I had to reimagine God. God wasn't the Trinity just high in the sky. God's intimate, loving presence is already here and already there and already there. And so it's taking that omnipresence of God very seriously and then learning how to embody that. So reimagine God and begin to see God everywhere, seeing your face, Brian, and seeing the divine image shining through. Like Thomas Merton talked about seeing people, they're all shining like the sun, he said, but we don't know it. And so that's 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 where I'm at, trying to create that consciousness, I create it within myself, awaken to it, but also invite others into it. 
Yeah, I love that. And, and if you have time, I just love to hear you reflect a little bit. Um, one of the things I've noticed um, recently, there's a lot, there's that word deconstruction that floats around with people really struggling uh, with their faith. And some people feel like they end up losing their faith, mm-hmm. even though perhaps what's being deconstructed was would be really just be some kind of ultimately idolatrous image of mm. who God really is anyway. And do you sense that um, contemplative spirituality, uh, is a place for folks to land and actually discover really the truth about uh, God beyond yes, maybe traumatic yes, yes. experiences that they might have had um, in with theology or maybe bad teachers? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, it's such a good question, Brian, because I mean, I, I went through my deconstruction right at the time when I found contemplative practice and sunroom mm-hmm. prayer. And so that was before it was a hot topic in churches and Instagram. So this was over a decade ago. And so you know, I think contemplation is what sort of made the deconstruction journey way less bumpy and so much less traumatic because there is the less, there is the whole teaching baked into uh, Thomas Keating's teaching on centering prayer, moving from the false system, false self to the true self, recognizing the ways that we have these programs for happiness that are tied up inside of identities. He talks about mythic membership, that we're mythically identified with different social or cultural or religious identities that are meant to be a container for our egos and our identities, but we get addicted to them and we have false ideas because of them. And so I think the deconstruction journey is softened and relaxed so much better when there's a practice and when you're actually on a path, because that's what, you know, when you take on a practice, you enter a path. If you read a few, read your book on centering prayer and you read a few others and you recognize like there's a path to follow. And so I think it softens the deconstruction and I also think it offers a path to do it well. And I think it's a great landing place as, as you suggested because it's a way to be, um, I kind of think of like uh, things in triangles. So like we have like rigid religion, which a lot of people are, are deconstructing from and then you either have like atheism and rejection of that, or you have like the spiritual uh, new age and all the woo woo. And so people react against the rigid religion. They either become atheists or they become new agers, or you can come up to the peak, that sort of place of synthesis and find contemplative spirituality, which is rooted in religion. <laughs> and it also has some of the currents of new i wouldn't say it's new age but new age is drawing from the mystical dimensions right right contemplative dimensions of religion and so it sort of is this integrating principle so i think it's just a beautiful path yeah thank you keith yeah and these are the last set of questions i'd like to ask all of my guests in one form or the other And, and just curious like the first one would be like you know like what's uh what's next for you in terms of i mean you got your you got your closer than breath community started you're putting on summits which we can talk about here at the very end uh, do you sense a, a bigger calling at some point? Again, maybe it doesn't mean bigger platform, but like, what do you what do you sense of you know looking forward? You're a young man. Like, what what do you think might be next or down the road for you? Or do you sense maybe God summoning you that might feel a little scary mm-hmm. even? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing that leaps out is writing. Like, I have a deep desire to write a book, and I've been actively doing it. A lot slower than I'd like it to be, but it's definitely a, a tedious and um, an exciting journey. And part of it is I have this dream of creating the what I'm calling now the daily mystic, which is essentially 
pulling in these mystical teachings and teaching a practical mysticism because some people take mysticism and they make it more mystical. <laughs> I like to take mystic mysticism and make it practical and make it every day for people because there's so much out there. And so I have this dream of, of creating the daily mystic, which is essentially could be a podcast, could be a YouTube, could be a daily email, but a place to hear from the mystics in a way that's grounded and down to earth. So we'll see. We'll see if we can do that in 2023. Yeah, I love that idea because, I mean, maybe you, I don't know if you ever see it, but like that Ryan Holiday's done this thing with ancient stoicism and he puts yeah. out this book the daily stoic and it, and obviously that's got legs mm -hmm. and there's some um, there's the sort of stoics aren't exactly contemplative but they have spiritual exercises yeah. in it so i mean i would encourage you because i think that would probably have real legs uh i love that idea so i'll definitely mm -hmm. be, i'll prayer, be I'll be in prayer for that because i think that you think you'd be really good at that so thanks for mm -hmm. i love that so thanks Thank for you. sharing that <laughs> yeah yeah um what's um what's a day look like for you in terms of you know your practices like what keeps you grounded to be able to serve other people and, and bless your own family and and love yourself actually for, along with all those other things yeah 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 great question you know, it's radically changed since uh, the last three days. So <laughs> we've just sleep trained our son who is now ah. sleeping through the night, which is like a miracle. So we for the first time aren't waking up four times a night. Um, so that's been a success. That means we, uh, my wife and I, we've gotten up at 5 a.m. the last three days. So this is not what we were doing prior to this, but now we've gotten up at 5 a.m. We have a 90 minute window before he wakes up. And we've been reading, we've been journaling, we've been doing this together, doing yoga and doing Beautiful. centering prayer together um, during that 90 minutes. So whether that'll stick or not, that has been refreshing to a T uh, the last three days. But, um, you know, I think, but, but to speak it out loud is, you know, commitment to the daily practice and finding those windows of opportunity. Earlier in the day is always better for me because if I don't do it, I'll push it off later. Guess what never happens? later later never seems to come it's always now and Good. so finding the time for practice in the morning and then the other thing is writing i mean i'm ultimately a writer i have a stack of journals that would nearly reach the ceiling and so having that time to slow down and think because contemplation is not about thinking even though people think contemplation means to think deeply when we talk about it from the christian contemplative tradition it kind of means the opposite it means to disengage from your thinking <laughs> Yeah. Um, so writing is about engaging the thought and slowing our thoughts down and, and being reflective. So that's sort of the those sort of two stabilizing practices for me. Yeah, I love it. Uh, now, you mentioned some authors earlier, but, you know, if I was if you were going to pick um, outside of, say, the Bible, that's I'm sure has played some role in your, mm -hmm. your development, too. Like besides the Bible, what would be if you're just going to have had to pick two to three books that have really meaningfully transformed you? What would those two or three books be? Yeah, well, I mean, in addition to what I've mentioned, I will underscore awareness because that was that's just so mind bending. I think um, I'm, I'm going to put David Frenette's book, The Path of Centering Prayer, out there because that's such an amazing book in exploring the transition from centering prayer to contemplative prayer. So it's perfect for beginners and it's he's got beautiful Trinitarian language that he sort of intersperses throughout the whole book and it's it's uh yeah it's a great for beginners but i am also speaking it because it's a great transition period to look at what is centering prayer compared to contemplation so it's good 
This is, a, and I appreciate the thank you. This has been a really wonderful conversation. And so, talk a little bit about like, um, I mean, we for those listening in December, January, December twenty twenty two, January twenty twenty three, you have your annual, I think it's annual now, uh, centering prayer summit coming up. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Um, I'll put a link to be able to get registration sure. and just talk about what, what that is, and and also give some other contact information if people want to find out a little bit more about you, Keith. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brian. You know, the summit is super exciting. We This is sort of a, a repeat from last year, not a complete repeat. We have new folks coming in. But in 2022, I put together a, a two-day Centering Prayer Summit. We had over 600 people joined, which was like a shock to me. Yeah, it was um, fantastic. I fantastic. was there. So, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. And it's all about teaching and practice. So it's not so much about the the community. There's not a lot of like breakout rooms like often we're accustomed to in, in Zoom, but it's about connecting us with contemplative teachers. So this year, in it's January 21st and 22nd with eight contemplative teachers and our Closer Than Breath organization is hosting it. And there's five opportunities for centering per practice throughout it. Um, and so it's really just a two day deep dive into the practice and looking at the, all sorts of themes related to centering prayer, whether it's moving into contemplation, someone has one moving from prayer to protest. So looking at sort of like uh, social justice as well and integrating those sort of practices um, also somebody talking about the Enneagram um, and so it's just like I I can't wait it was like the best last year and I'm just super excited to have it it's sort of again Cynthia Bergeau is is the keynote speaker um, and she's talking about Thomas Keating the the founder of Centering Prayer so really excited about that and let's just give us give some contact information that people want to connect with you Sure. Yeah. Well, the Centering Prayer website, very easy, centeringprayersummit.com. And then our Closer Than Breath website, closerthanbreath.com. And then my personal Instagram is just Keith Krisich, just my first and last name. Um, and I'm pretty active on there. Although I've taken a break since this, my, the birth of my son, I'll be uh, jumping in real soon again. And I'll put uh, links to all the books that Keith's mentioned, as well as to the summit and his uh, website and also his Instagram account. Uh, Keith, I just want to thank you for being my guest today. I also want to thank you for being open to God's leading to create this uh, bigger community. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be cheering on. I've been a fan for a while. This is our first time we ever got to actually talk. And so I'm just really grateful for you. And thank you for being the uh, thank you for growing into the person that God created you to be. Mm. Brian, thank you. It's been super great to be with you. And yeah, honored to talk and glad for the work you're doing as well. <laughs> thank you. And and I want to thank everyone for listening all the way to the end of this week's episode. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love and be a voice of hope in the world.